White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow, Carlton Burns has put the White Sox ahead. There goes number 400 for Big Brad Burns. takes a perfect game. His second no-hitter. You can't put it on the board. Yeah. Can it go? Grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Have all the fun you want, Tim Anderson. This one is... Locked on socks. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know? Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey. And the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Socks Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello and welcome back to Locked On Socks. We might be locked on, but the team offensive woes continue, so they are not themselves. My name is Herb Lawrence, and with me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. Chris, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm hanging in there, Herbie. This episode of Locked On White Sox is brought to you by our friends at CBDMD. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a professional athlete, a stay-at-home parent, or you spend eight hours a day in an uncomfortable office chair. Everyone needs support to make it through the day. And luckily, our friends at CBDMD have an amazing duo that can help you relax, regroup, and recharge when life gets a little chaotic. I want to tell you about a couple great products here. CBD Freeze with Menthol is an award-winning product that offers instant cooling relief for muscles and joints in a convenient and easy-to-use roller or shareable squeeze tube. There's also CBD Recover, which combines CBD with inflammation-fighting compounds like Arnica and vitamin B6 to give you the support you need where it matters most. And to make it even easier to try this amazing duo of topicals and everything else that CBDMD has to offer, they're offering our listeners, you guys, 25% off your next order when you use promo code LOCKEDONMLB at checkout. Once again, that's CBDMD.com, promo code LOCKEDONMLB for 25% off your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. All right, Herbie, Sox losers tonight, 5-1. to in Detroit, what was looking like the soft part of their schedule, uh, uh, room for the White Sox to eat a little bit against some of these inferior teams uh, like the Tigers on paper, even though they're ahead of them in the standings. And you have your Cardinals of the world who haven't played in basically a week and by the time you get to them. So you think the Sox can really make some headway here and put that explosive offense of theirs to good work. But nope. Five to one losers tonight. The Tigers behind a starting pitcher barrage of Fulmer, Norris, Schreiber, Cisnero, and Soto. They limit the Sox to just one run tonight. They scatter eight hits, and overall, it just does not look good for the Sox offensively. Um, we'll get into the numbers in just a second, but Herb, while it's still fresh in your mind, uh, your evaluation of the team's offensive performance tonight and of late. Just piss poor. Like, the results, yes, I want them. I want some guys to hit to the back of the baseball cards. But I mostly care about the approach. As I put out on a tweet, the Sox are taking a lot of strikes, lots of them, and then swinging or taking strike three on a questionable call. They put themselves in these positions to get called out on the third strike. So, Yasmani today, 
uh, takes a ball right down the middle, right down the middle, first pitch. And I understand he's got some patience to his game, and he walks a lot, sees a lot of pitches. But there's got to be an approach for most of these guys that says, hey, see ball, hit ball after a while, or I don't know, um, just don't be swinging at balls in the dirt. Like the other day, there was a ball in the left field, left-handers batter's box that we got guys flailing at. Uh, and, and we've already discussed how filthy the Cleveland pitchers are and Shane Bieber in particular, but that was the guy that was doing it to him. And while we did get to Bieber a little bit yesterday, three runs off of him, really the, the at-bats weren't that great except for a couple concentrated ones. And today the same thing. My, uh, Michael Fulmer's not that good, and the pitchers that came in afterwards, nothing to write home about. And it just seemed like lackluster at bat after lackluster at bat are happening with this team. I don't know what needs to happen for them to get out of it, but they're way too talented to be hitting how they are right now. What do you think? Yeah, the talent is there, although they are pretty banged up right now. We talked about early on in the season how guys like Edwin Encarnacion were going to shape the dynamic of this ball club and his approach is always a pretty solid one. Uh, he didn't yield the results early, and then he gets hurt, and all of a sudden you've you've got a different dynamic in the lineup that, that's missing. You, you have a power source that you thought you could rely on, pencil him in for 30 home runs you know, before the shortened season, You know, whatever the shortened equivalent to 30 home runs is, but you, you thought that would be a guy you can count on in the middle of your lineup, and he hasn't been there for you, and it's, it's just been bad. Uh, to take you behind the numbers a little bit, the Sox are still hitting before tonight's game, 261. That's good for second overall in all of baseball. However, uh-huh. just hitting 209 with runners in the scoring position, and even worse over the last week, Sox are hitting just 091 going into the game tonight. And uh, things got a little worse. It looks like Jose Abreu jammed his hip there, uh, striding to first base. This is this is not good. That's the one guy who was able to bail you out on occasion. He had the home run early on in the game last night. But if they have to do without Jose Abreu for any amount of time, this thing could get out of hand quickly. Yeah, and also the dumb headfirst slide by Larry Garcia, and he got stepped on, as you're going to get because the guy's also stepping on the base as you're sliding headfirst. As Steve Stone always says, if it was advantageous for a person to dive and get onto first base, you would see sprinters do that at the finish line. They run through it. Running through the base where it's the only base you can do that is the best way you can get yourself safe. And it's been proven time and time again that unless you're avoiding a tag, that running through a base is actually faster than you sliding. You're giving up. Uh, firstly, you're breaking your body down. And then when you hit the dirt, you're slowing yourself down with the friction that the body and the ground is causing. So it just makes no sense in the grand scheme to slide headfirst into first base. I don't like sliding headfirst into any base, but first base especially. It's just dumb. And now he's going to get some, uh, I think x-rays were negative, but you know, uh, stepping on your hands, the things that you probably use the most out there, uh, not the best thing to do, not the best thing to expose them to injury like Lurie did. And he's already a backup player. So we'll be looking probably at our third string second baseman or shortstop. 
with Goins getting some time if Lurie has to miss any type of uh, time right here. Yeah, Lurie stayed in the game to run, um, but then Ricky pulled a lot of the starters late in the game. Uh, when you when you mentioned we saw uh, Ryan Goins in there, um, but speaking of Ricky, so Jason Benetti on the broadcast tonight said that Ricky had a team meeting uh, before the game tonight in Detroit, and I and I thought that was odd. Um, Usually with baseball managers, I, I sort of look at these things like in, in baseball, you don't want to have team meetings all the time because you don't want to get your me- you don't want to drown out your message and you think, you know, have your team think that you're losing faith in them. So we're at a situation here where they've played less than 20 games and I know shortened season, what have you, but all of a sudden you're, you're calling for a team meeting after a late night last night and it's your first day of starting a road trip and all of a sudden you got a team meeting going. If, if you're some of the veterans in that clubhouse, what are you thinking when all of a sudden you're having a team meeting uh, only a couple weeks into this thing? There's a quote by Ozzy Guillen. He said, good teams you know, play and win and horseshit teams have team meetings. And that's what I think about. Like, Bad teams are the ones that have team meetings. When have you ever come out of a team meeting or hear somebody, man, they just had a team meeting, and then the team just takes off? I mean, that's few and far between. Usually you have team meetings because things are fucked, and it's 15, what, 15, 16 games into the season? Why are we having a team meeting? We just talked about this two, three weeks ago. So to have a team meeting this early in the season tells me things are messed up. Uh, he doesn't like how things are being uh, done out there, and they're not listening to his message that he just gave him a couple weeks ago. So not a good look at all. And I don't know what he can say to the guys that's going to get them fired up. But obviously, it didn't work tonight. Yeah, and you have to look at those veterans in the clubhouse. You know, Jose Abreu, I don't know how much to put on him because they, they put so much of the positive culture on him because he's been here a long time. He, he, he comes with the house, so to speak. Um, you know, he's been a positive influence on so many of the guys, especially, you know, guys like, you know, like Eloy, Moncada, Robert, you know, all the stories about him being a great elder statesman out there. But he's never been around a winning ball club for any longer than a, a month at a time. So I, I think it's it's on the shoulders of the veterans, maybe like your Grandals of the world. Now, granted, not everyone's a natural leader in that regard. But some guys have been around and experienced winning, and that's why they're here. Your Encarnacion's, your, your Grandals, uh, your Dallas Keuchel's, who who was good enough tonight. That should have been good enough to win, uh, but, but the offense doesn't perform for him. So I, I think you've got to put that on your players to sort of self-police this early here. Um, you know, it's and the thing is, I get it calling a team meeting if if the if hustle's not there, if you know. Uh, bad approaches there. And I, I wouldn't call this approach by the Sox offense lately bad. Um, they're getting a lot of weak contact. And, you know, yeah, I would like them to be more aggressive earlier in the count. But overall, it's not a totally clueless approach. I think you have to chalk a lot of it up to the 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 other teams executing their pitches. Like Detroit did a great job of that tonight. They were dotting those corners all night long, making it real tough on the Sox hitters. But I don't think it's a problem of lack of effort or trying or or plan out there. So that's why having a meeting at this point, it, you know, unless you know, we don't know the details of the meeting. Maybe it was just a hey, a quick uh, COVID protocol reminder meeting. You know, starting off a road trip in in a boring city like Detroit with the whole not a whole lot going on with those casinos they've got up there. We've been there. Um, that's mm-hmm. probably the first. You know, I don't know where they stay on the road in Detroit, but. 
you know, if they're staying in Detroit proper, they're probably hitting up one of those casinos tonight, which is just a, a Petri dish for spreading germs. So unless it was just a, hey, guys, just remember, you saw what happened with, with the Indians that just were in town. Let's follow our protocols. Let's be safe out there. But, you know, we don't know if it was about that or performance-based, but you would have to think at the way these numbers with runners in scoring position have been unfolding over the past week that it was definitely a a, a team offensive output performance meeting. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if it was a, hey, let's 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 rally, let's concentrate, let's focus meeting, or it was a, hey, relax, you guys are are talented and let the talent prevail. So I don't know. It, it was it just my, my radar was up a little bit when I heard Jason say that about a meeting. So I think your 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 summarization of Ozzy's quote there is is dead on. And we mentioned the Cleveland situation with Zach Plesak, who went out with his buddies after dominating the White Sox uh, on Saturday night, and he goes out with his buddies, and Indians find out, and their team president and the team gets together, and they vote to send him home for violating protocols. Then we find out today that it wasn't just Zach Plesak, but actually Mike Clevenger went out with him. And it was one of those situations where I read online that Mike Clevenger was vouching for Zach, you know, saying, hey, let's take it easy on him. You know, he's a good kid, didn't do a whole lot wrong. Meanwhile, old Mikey's out here uh, hitting up Chicago nightlife just like Zach was. So I got to ask you a couple things here. One, what do you make of this? And two, your ideal Chicago night out, dinner, drinks after, what are you doing if if things were back to normal with the with the with the with the touch from from the Coolio Fantastic Voyage wand from that music video where you can turn things awesome and turn your voyages fantastic? What are you doing at a night out in Chicago if you if you could pick anything in the world? Okay. Um firstly, Mike Clevenger's an idiot. <laughs> like he saw what Zach Plesak had. Any self-respecting person that saw that, even before, like, if you're going to do the dirt, own up to the crime and say, you know what? You can't just send Zach back because I was out kicking it with him. So I'm going to go back too. so put the same hurt on him that you put on me. The fact that he didn't own up to that and they had to find this shit out and he was in team meetings on Sunday and in the team plane going back to Cleveland on Sunday with a person that just survived leukemia last year and Carlos Carrasco. So putting him in danger of dying, not just of getting this thing and being good. He has a compromised immune system. So the selfishness, the callousness, the cowardice that he didn't come up and say, Hey, this was me. And I did this too. You shouldn't just punish him. Tells me all I need to know about Mike Clevenger. And I had liked him. His off-season comments were really uh, struck to me. They really struck me. And he was very vocal about how baseball was wrong. He was kind of on the um, Trevor Bauer tip, his former teammate, uh, shitting on MLB and how they have done things this past off-season. The negotiations weren't that great. But after this, this is a horrible thing. If the Indians do not suspend him for the rest of the year, they're doing it wrong. They want to be setting a tone for the rest of the team and the rest of the league. They have to show Mike Clevenger they mean business because the fact that he went out firstly callous and the fact that he came back and saw his other homie get suspended and didn't say a word, can't say anything about it. I mean, I'm just furious about the Carlos Carrasco situation too. Like that man is battled back from hard times. 
and now these teammates are just going to out here go to Chicago and act like it's the only city that's got any vibrance to it. I mean, maybe this year because they're only going to Midwest City, so you know me. I don't like the Midwest cities except for Chicago and maybe Kansas City. I mean, Pittsburgh you put in there too, but you know it closed at 10 o'clock. Game's over, you're done. Too. Oh, if you have a day game but, in Pittsburgh, you can go out and hit the town until the wee hours of 8 p.m. and you can really get your money's <laughs> worth out there. <laughs> but yeah, if I was, you know me, I'm a food guy. If I was in Chicago, of course I'm going to see a game firstly i'm going to the cell and check out a game getting some elotes getting some um a root beer float and maybe even some pulled pork and some chips some delicious food like that and then if i'm not full after the Sox win that game i'm gonna go and hit up gina Giorgetti oh, or man. chicago cut which i've never been to chicago cut all i've heard about is great steaks and if i'm in chicago and i have anything i can do I've eaten a lot of pizza. I've eaten a lot of hot dogs. I haven't eaten a lot of steak, and this is one of the best steak cities in the world, so I'm going to have one of the best steaks in the world. And since uh, David Burke's Prime House is no longer around, where they had that 45-day dry-aged steak, I'm going to go to Chicago Cut and see what they're talking about because I've only heard great things about their steaks and enjoy a nice, nice ribeye. And then after that, I'm probably going to chill out at a uh, rooftop bar, maybe one right by my house, Fountainhead, and enjoy a couple brews with my girl or you guys out here, whatever is going on. <laughs> God damn it, Herb. Why do we have to be joined at the hip doing all things? Because you stole my restaurant. Gene and Giorgetti's is my favorite spot. If you like an old school uh, st- Chicago steakhouse experience, it's it's my favorite. Um, you know, I don't even know if the steak itself is my favorite. Because I, I would have to maybe give the edge to Chicago Cut in that regard. But in terms of just the ambiance, the old school vibes, the cocktails, and of, oof, the sausage and peppers before yeah, the Yeah, which steak. you introduced me to. <laughs> yeah, man. That's a, that's a must-have must if you're going to Gina Giorgetti. So I would start my night there. And then I would uh, I would probably go up to uh, go up to Wicker Park and I would resurrect the old note. <laughs> I don't know if you ever went oh, to the. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> like if I, if I could just create something out of out of nothing, if I could bring the Fantastic Voyage magic wand, I'm bringing the note back and I'm listening to to some grimy ass hip hop and, uh, and you know just is vibing out in that regard, you know. So, but yeah, but Fountainhead too is awesome, and or maybe after Gina Giorgetti. You walk on over to the Riverwalk and and you go to the RPM Seafood, which I just took my wife to for her birthday a couple weeks ago, where our, our guy Chef Bob, Chef Bob Broski, hooked us up big time, and they've got a great drink menu there, and you can vibe out next to the Riverwalk. That was there. outside. Yeah, that was outside. Yeah, so I could wow. do that now um, if I wanted to. But so this is like your ideal night out on the town in Chicago. Um, you know, be be it pre pre or post COVID times, yeah. If you could do any of those things, I, I think that's my list right there. Keep it keep it simple. I don't like to hang downtown a lot, but yeah, Gina Giorgetti. But that's I'm spoiled now because I'm I live out here near O'Hare, and everything you could possibly want from downtown Chicago, they're trying to like build out here by O'Hare. Like so, they've got Gina Giorgetti out here in Rosemont, and it's it's on point. You know, you don't have the same like sort of uh, experience when you're at the Chicago one downtown because you're a little, it's a little cramped down there, but also you feel the energy in the room and you can feel like, you know, all the history there, but this, this place in Rosemont's new, but the food is equally on par. So yeah, it's, you know, it, it's, this is a Chicago's van. It's, it's going to put a lot of teams out here to the test 
uh, if you have a good weekend series against the White Sox. And sadly, that's proving to be uh, the, the case for most teams that come in here. The Sox, are, I think they're 2-6 and six at home in the early going here in 2020. So, you know, Chicago could be a, a, you know, a COVID hotspot for the opposing teams coming in. So, But unfortunately, Zach Plesak didn't go out Friday night. He had to go out after the game Saturday night. So, But uh, it, it's what it is. Um, but certainly... You know, with the Cardinals series coming up, you're 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 hoping guys are gonna are gonna stay safe, and they they push the Cardinals game versus the White Sox on Saturday back five whole hours because, as we know, I've I've talked to my doctor buddies. Okay, we know two things about COVID. The only two things we know are number one, starting a runner at second base is the best preventative maintenance to, to from COVID. Okay, if you have a runner on second base, you're not getting COVID, and two. Uh, if you push your game time back, that 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 decreases your risk to get COVID significantly. So they're doing those two things so far, and I think I think it will work out okay as long as you're following those particular protocols. But more more importantly, the runner on second base is the most important. What did you think of that last night? That horseshit rule that was that I, I dread every time a game's close late in the game, eight ninth inning. I'm like, please don't go to extra innings, please. Yeah, it's just dumb. <laughs> I mean, it makes zero sense at all like it gives both teams the same advantage like if you give one of the teams like you give the home team or the road team that advantage i understand you want to end the game and you want a team to have that advantage like i would give the road team that advantage because the home team should have gotten the game over in nine innings but to give them both that advantage that does nothing but make each team make like every team's gonna score a run like at least one run it doesn't give any team an advantage at all. If we're trying to shorten the game, let's just call it after nine and call it a tie. But to make a rule that is not baseball, it's intentionally not baseball. And you know how how it's not baseball? Because that when that run scores, it's not charged to that pitcher. It's charged as a team error and just, okay, they just made a team error and it scored. So there's nothing baseball about that move. And – that brings back suicide squeezes and people get all happy and shit about dumb shit like bunting. <laughs> it's just dumb. Like, uh, it's just idiotic, and it makes me so pissed that last night's game, the quality performance by Lucas Gilito, uh we actually got to shame people a little bit to give three runs off of him, a couple home runs, and uh, some timely hitting. And then it ends with a suicide squeeze and then a, a leak through single because they started with the runner on second. If that didn't happen, I don't know, you know, how Cleveland scores, but it just they scored two runs in the tenth inning where they scored three during the rest of the ninth the nine innings prior because of that dumbass rule. Just, uh, just. It's an idiotic rule. Uh, Rob Bamford doesn't know what he's talking about. It doesn't heat up or make the game go quicker. I've seen games go deeper because of this dumbass rule because one team scores and the other team scores. And one team scores and the other team scores. It just bang, bang it back to each other. So, uh, And, of course, I'm going to be pissed about it because the White Sox lost. If they would have won last night, I'd be like, man, it's the greatest game rule ever. I love this rule. It's a... Uh, Genius stroke by Rob Manfred. But since my team lost it and it's only a chance to do that bullshit rule, I hate it. It's dumb. And the team is playing poorly. I am furious. We're under 500 now. God damn it. 
Yeah, Sox are playing poorly. They are under 500. Uh, Herbie the Stat King got nailed that one. Uh, Sox are 8-9, and nine, uh, but I'm going to say this. Uh, it's not the end of the world. So far, we've seen Stoney was kind of talking to this point a little bit at the end of the game there. We've seen a little bit of everything so far. We don't know the true identity of this team. All you can do is go by the talent on the field and in the lineup, and yeah, they've got some injuries now. And and one quick thing that I saw tonight, speaking of the injuries, Herbie, um, Alden Gonzalez uh, tweeted today, um, I have Madison Bumgarner as a sixth pitcher to go on the injured list today. That's 56 pitchers on the IL for non-COVID reasons through the first 18 days of this season, according to ESPN Stats and Info. And by comparison, 56 pitchers now on the IL. In the first 18 days of 2019, it was just 24. The first 18 days of 2018, it was only 19. So these injuries, it's not a fluke. We talked about it already before. The Sox are not the only team to get bit by the injury bug. Um, but it, it, this is going to be whoever is healthiest at the end. So a lot, a lot of things still to unfold here. But if the Sox can all of a sudden, you know, maybe have some good health luck to at the end of the year in the last 30 games and balance out some of this bad luck they've been having, and particularly with the pitching staff, you know, the bummer injury hurts them a lot. But it's it's rampant in all of baseball. And I, and I think mostly everything that's that's happening this year is going to be a fluke. And, and I think we should take everything we see with a grain of salt, you know, successes, failures. You have to be care- really careful how you evaluate this year. And I hope the Sox don't go all in and try to to prop up this team uh, for, for, for this for this year and, you know, spin off prospects that they could use down the road. So it's just something to keep an eye on as we get further along into this very, very odd 2020 season. Should we open up the bag? Yep. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. And if you love email, if you love sending it, we love reading it. How can they do that, Herbie? Email us at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. That is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. And maybe, just maybe, we'll read yours on an episode of Mailbag Monday. Absolutely. And we'll start here tonight, Herbie, on this edition of Mailbag Monday. The first one comes in from Patrick. Patrick writes, hi, Herb. Hi, Chris. That's us. Still love the show. Wanted to get your opinion on something. Do you think Moncada gets overlooked? I feel like because Moncada was a bit of a disappointment in 2018 and then broke out the same year that Jimenez hits 31 bombs as a rookie and now La Pantera is looking like a veteran two weeks in. Moncada just gets overlooked. Dude is crazy good. That's all I got. Thank you, Patrick. Kirby, do you think that uh, Moncada is overlooked a bit? Uh, locally, no. I think White Sox fans understand that he is the best player on the team currently. And nationally, I think, yes, he does get overlooked because, you know, the White Sox get overlooked. The team wasn't good last year. Things like having him on Sunday Night Baseball and having him play the way he has played so far. I think he's got on base every game this year via either the hit or the walk. And he has like a 21 game on base streak going back to last year. So, yeah, he does get overlooked for being Firstly, the improvement he made from 2018 to 2019, from being the strikeout king in 2018 to being one of the best players in the American League in 2019, cutting down those strikeouts in just one season. That's how good he is. And switching from second base to third base, which I think is a harder position and doing it flawlessly. uh, Yeah, he gets overlooked 100%. He's going to be an MVP candidate 
multiple years in his career. And right now, I think he's just coming into his own, just starting to scratch the surface of what he will eventually be. Yeah, I think Moncada is going to be the one when it's all said and done, like who's going to be the best player on the White Sox championship team. Um, You know, I think it's going to be Moncada. I mean, we've talked about it time and time again. He's the one that started this whole thing. You know, you don't you don't do a full on rebuild and sell off your your best asset in Chris Sale without getting someone damn good in return and someone who can do it all. And and so far, I've been really impressed. Uh, Struggling a bit as of late, but early returns here in 2020, it looks like he's going to. Uh, capitalize once again and put together another solid year after having one last year. But yeah, Moncada is going to be the one that that makes this thing go. But he, his his demeanor out there, just the quiet confidence, he's naturally going to get overlooked. And you know, we're saying he's kind of struggling right now. He hasn't even reached the the tip of where he's going to be at, and he is seventh currently in F four with a point nine uh, F four in the league. So. We might think that he's not even like great yet, but he's the seventh best player according to F four right now in the league, tied with Aaron Judge. That's amazing. Absolutely, and you know you look at guys like Eloy, who is by gonna by default be a fan favorite because of his big home run against the Cubs last year. That's gonna that's gonna give give him a lot of of a fan equity. but also the fact that you know he he's his English at least in the public, uh, his English is a little more advanced than some of the other guys. And you know I've heard some of the other guys do it that you know maybe they're just not out there up front with it. But that that means something in terms of having star power and, and relatability in your city. But also you know the high mom stuff and and you know all of that. Eloy is just like the star, you know, and there's always going to be that baked in layer with him. Like, oh, he came from the Cubs. So people have that vested interest in him sort of. And, you know, they they want nothing more for him to succeed so they can, you know, tell your Cub fan buddies that, oh, yeah, this guy's killing it out here. But Moncada's quiet confidence and his 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 chill laid back approach on everything and the way he makes every look, everything so so simple and so routine like that that kind of hurts him in a lot of ways in terms of, of being uh, properly valued uh, you know I don't know in a, in a national perspective how people look at him um, you know probably he's probably not a household name just yet with with your average baseball fan but he he definitely should be and I think by the time this version of the White Sox is is is, is wrapped up all said and done I think we'll we'll definitely know uh, what Yohan Moncada meant to this team so thank you very much for that email and moving on here Next one comes in from Mike. Hello, Michael. Thank you for hitting us up once again. Hey, guys. What do you think the shelf life is for Don Cooper? I appreciate his work mostly, but wondering if his time may be coming to an end. At some point, he just has to move on, right? Talk soon. Thank you, Mike, for checking in once again. Herbie, your thoughts on Coop? I'm... Coop has been with the White Sox for a long time, maybe like 30 years in the whole organization, almost 20 years as the pitching coach. Um, They're going to allow Don Cooper to retire on his own terms. And maybe that retirement is a nudge, but there will be no firing of Don Cooper. I guarantee that 100%. He will stay the White Sox pitching coach as long as Don Cooper wants to. He's missing the series in Detroit, you know, just, uh, I think, uh, uh, nursing a couple of in- illnesses and such. So he's not on the trip right now. But as soon as Don Cooper wants to hang it up is the time that you'll be seeing Don Cooper not be the White Sox pitching coach anymore. I'm 
I don't know how much a pitching coach helps necessarily. He has had a track record or at least the legend of helping pitchers be better than they were, the reclamation projects like Gavin Floyd and other people to get better than they were other places. But I don't know. I think ultimately it's up to the pitchers themselves to execute the pitches. Uh, pitching coaches can give you a good game plan, a different thing in your ear. Uh, but I don't know how much a pitching coach helps necessarily. So I won't put too much weight onto what Don Cooper's, uh, how he helps or hurts this team. And at, for all, um, for all the things that the White Sox have done this year, I think the pitching staff, either starters or the rotation has pitched to the back of the, the card. So I don't like how they started the starting rotation. It doesn't mean that Don Cooper is re- responsible for Gio Gonzalez being Gio Gonzalez or Drew Anderson being bad. He's bad. You know, that's the guy. I think that, you know, some guys are just bad. And the bullpen, if you're going to give Don Cooper crap about some of the starting pitchers, you got to give him credit for some of the bullpen guys he has developed. And I'll put those in quotes. Evan Marshall looks like a champion, even though he gave up a run last night. Uh, Aaron Bummer looks great. Uh, Alex Colomay gets the job done every time he goes in the game. So it's uh, with a grain of salt. If you want to you want to blame him for the bad stuff, you got to give him credit for the good stuff. I don't know. Shrug of the shoulders with Coop. Yeah, I thought it was funny last night uh, on the ESPN broadcast. They had Dallas Keuchel on there, and they asked him about Coop. <laughs> and did you did you see that? You know what I'm talking I about see, already. See that. Yes. <laughs> um, so so here, here you know I'll let the uh, this audio speak for itself. This is from the ESPN broadcast last night. Don Cooper, White Sox pitching coach, been there 19 years. What have you learned from Don? Well, Coop's a special breed, first of all. So he he uh, he keeps us on a, on our toes, but he he's the old school mentality. He's uh, you know you got to be tough, you got to be prepared, and, and I mean he he throws out Burley a lot. The guys that he's had before us, and and um, you know what they did. So the knowledge he has in, the, in that head of his is is beyond a lot of a lot of people in this game, and and. Um, he keeps alive with us too, but he he's a an integral part of of the staff as well. So yeah, so it's like, hey, uh, hey Dallas, what do you think about Coop? Um, yeah, he just talks about Mark Burley and stuff. <laughs> so I mean, that was just that was kind of what I thought, but that was kind of telling to me. Like you know, you're not going to tell Dallas Keuchel what to do. I don't think at this point, you know, he hasn't been in the league forever. You know, he's not you know CC Sabathia out there, but he's a guy that knows what he's doing. He's won a Cy Young. He's got some skins on the wall, and I don't think Don Cooper's telling Dallas Keuchel anything new that he doesn't already know. Uh, you know, Dallas is sort of like he he's Coop's like. Like he probably gets a boner when he sees Dallas. Well, come and get on that mound because he does remind him of of Burley and just throwing, mm-hmm. pounding that strike zone, throwing the contact. You know, quick games. I'm sure Coop loves Dallas Keuchel, but it is kind of damning, I think, though, when you see guys. You, you know, the ace of your staff now, Lucas Giolito, went outside the organization for help. Now, I think an ideal situation is when guys take a little bit from everyone. Like you know, whatever you're doing in in your life, if you're successful at it, odds are. You've pulled a little bit from everywhere, from people 
you've met from experiences you've had. So I, I don't really have a problem, but you're starting to see that more and more with guys going outside the organization, like going to driveline for help. And then when, when Dylan sees is looking for help, he goes to Giolito like, Hey, what did you do to, to, to have this success? Like, I, I feel like that should be, all those resources should be available internally. And, and the White Sox are quick, quick to, to clap back at anyone who says they're, they're not using the modern day, uh, you know, metrics and, and modern day technologies to wrap Sotos to, to advance what their, what their pitching program is. But you look around baseball and you look in your division and look at the look at the Indians, a team that just came in and, and kicked your ass and what they're doing with their pitching infrastructure. Like, you know, someone who's been around as long as Don Cooper, like you would think um, would be able to have a bigger hand in, in what they're doing organizationally. And you would think that there'd be more success organi- organizationally because, you know, certainly Coop has had his successes at the big league level turning certain guys around, but you don't never really hear about the guys who he can't turn around. You know, he's, he's been here since 2002 when, uh, when they gave Nardi Contreras the, uh, the old heave ho out the door. So I, I really don't know how to answer that. You know, I, I think he's sort of put himself in a position where the, I think he's, the, the, the game is passing him by. Let, let, let's just say that maybe, you know, but then again, I'm not in, in the clubhouse and, but it certainly seems like with, with modern pitching, Guys are going outside for help, and and you're, you're you're seeing guys getting help from unconventional ways and off the beaten path ways, and 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 finding answers outside of the organization, which is never a good thing. Just in general, if you're a coach in, in a major league baseball organization, I thought it was interesting too, with Giolito, who I mentioned earlier, learning his his four seam fastball uh, from Danny Farquhar. When he, mm-hmm. when he came over from the Rays organization, he was like, hey, here's how they're throwing it down there, and here's what they're doing, and you know, riding it high up in the zone. And all of a sudden, Giolito has success with that pitch that he learned from another player that had seen how another organization did its business. So, I mean, I guess that tells you all, all you need to know. I've never heard anyone break bad on, on Coop unless it was Joe Cowley, um, but I trust Joe Cowley a lot, you know, so – but we know Joe's a Team Aussie guy, so there, there's a lot going on there. But, yeah, Coop, it's, it's, it's a complicated question, man. I guess ask me at the end of the year because they've got a good mix of veterans and youth in there, and so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get a better picture of, of what Coop's bringing to the table this year. I, I like him as a guy. You know, we've, we've, we've dealt with him a lot professionally over the years, and certainly he knows the art of pitching, definitely, uh, but maybe sometimes the, the teaching methods don't always – reach your your subjects how you intended to so that's that's up to him and the white Sox to figure that out to to really maximize on the 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 potential of, of what they have going now so thank you for the email mike always appreciate it all right next one here from samuel uh, given the current murky state of our starting rotation a hypothetical extension of like 60 to 70 million dollars over four to five years for Lucas Giolito could help stabilize the starting rotation for the future. I basically think copying the same type of extension that the Cubs did for Kyle Hendricks. What do you guys think about an extension for Lucas Giolito, Herbie? I think if he wants it, which he should as a pitcher, uh, the shelf life of a pitcher, much shorter, and especially he's already had a Tommy John surgery. He knows this thing is like right now. He's used so many pitchers on the DL this year. Are his, this thing is tenuous. So if the White Sox come with a deal like that for uh, a couple of years, I don't know if it's that low. That seems low for a guy who I profile as a 
1-2 ace of the staff. Kyle Hendricks might be the ace of the Cubs right now, but I think that Lucas Giolito looks to be a better pitcher overall than Kyle Hendricks, so maybe he'll be wanting a little bit more money. But, yeah, if I was the White Sox, one of my things I'll be focusing on, probably the main focus, would be signing him to a long-term deal because you've seen him progress from the 18, now the 19, and looks good in 20, and the health looks pretty good. And even if he was to fall into some uh, injury problems, He's young enough to come back and give you some innings after a Tommy John or some other injury that he might have. So, yeah, I'll be looking into eating up the rest of his RB years and then maybe one, two years of free agency and getting him signed for a decent amount. I know Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't like signing pitchers longer than four to five years on a deal, but they might have to go to five years with this man because he is, I think, a one, two in a championship staff. I'm still very, very skeptical of, of giving pitchers extensions before you have to. And I'm the same guy that talks about taking care of your players and making your team a destination. But typically, I'm very weary of this when your team is in a championship window. And especially, we see this team out here. They've got some depth problems. Um, they're, they're not able to sustain a lot of injuries at one time. So they're going to have to go on a little shopping spree this offseason um, and, and sort of uh, rectify some some issues here positionally. They're going to need uh, probably the way it stands right now. Let's say you say goodbye to to Edwin. You're going to have to probably put Eloy at that DH spot, even though I said that this this team works best if he's in left field. I, I think you give him a chance to, to go out and prove it. But if you can make an immediate upgrade – like getting yourself a George Springer, which we've been we've been hot for say after Mookie Betts got his extension, you know they're, they're going to have to invest more uh, in their position players to, to rectify some depth issues before I would go giving out pitchers extensions before you have to, and only because of the financial state of at least the financial state that the owners are going to say that they're in. Uh, just because they're not making money hand hand over fist, they're going to lead you to believe that they're losing money. So they're definitely going to say. Well, uh, budget, I don't know. It's going to be a little tight this year with no fans. Who knows? Are we going to have fans? Or are we going to not have fans? It's going to be tough to pull the trigger on, on big-time free agents. You're, you already know that's going to be a thing. So I think you really have to be thrifty with, with how you're spending your money. And I think giving an extension to a starting pitcher with just one solid year at the big league level, I think that would be a bad move. But I, but I would certainly be open to that uh, another calendar year from now uh, and extending that window because we we called this the Moncada and Giolito window, you know, because before they took care of Moncada, those two guys were up at the same time. So it was important that that everything be done in, in the order to line up with those guys. So I'd be happy to reevaluate in another year or so after he puts together another solid season and a, maybe a top five Cy Young finish this year. But yeah, I, I would be very careful about the, how, how they spend their money going forward here uh, as we head into 2021. So Thank you very much, Samuel, for the email. Moving on here, next one comes from Joe. Hey, guys, big fan of the podcast and longtime fan of you both on the score. Thank you very much, Joe. My question, Joe. My question is this. Tricky Ricky has caught his flack for being too cute with the lineup, overthinking things and being very firm on his stances, which don't line up with the 60-game season. Realistically, do you guys feel... White Sox upper management is going to fairly assess him and realize that they will need to make a change? Or do you guys think that management is taking this year as a freebie 
and omitting any criticism of Ricky due to the shortened season. I just can't stand having the stacked team offensively still struggle with bringing guys in to score. Thank you very much, Joe, for the email. Herb, your thoughts on Ricky and sort of how the White Sox are approaching this season and if, if they're looking at him with a critical eye. I think they are. Um, I don't know this to be certain, but it seems like maybe a little friction between him and front office uh, about how things are done, who needs to be in the lineup, and et cetera, et cetera. So maybe uh, a replacement needs to be had next year. And if there's good candidates out there, Ricky Renteria is not holding me back from going to pursue those guys. But remember, multiple things. Um, this is a short season. Secondly, I don't think managers have a big effect on winning and losing necessarily. Thirdly, this is a Reinsdorf-owned team, and we see Jim Boylan, who sucks at basketball coaching, which I think actually has an effect on the team winning and losing, um, is probably going to retain his job because Jerry Reinsdorf, notoriously, doesn't like to be paying coaches money that he's not you know, employing currently. I mean, he has done it multiple times, but he doesn't like it. So Jim Boylan right now seems like he's going to keep his job and Ricky, I think signed an extension uh, two years ago, a year ago. So he has years on his contract still. So he's probably more than likely not going anywhere unless this team implodes and doesn't make this expanded playoffs. There's no way you can bring back Ricky that if that happens, but I don't see that being the possibility, even a possibility, even though they're playing terribly right now, I don't see that as a possibility. Otherwise, I'm not a fan of Ricky, but I don't think he's the one that's causing this team to be bad. Even though I quibble with his lineup construction, it's negligible, especially in 60 games. So if I had to bet on it, I would say Ricky Renteria is your coach and your manager in 2021. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I think, like I said earlier, everything in 2020 with a grain of salt, I, I think you know, the, this is unprecedented territory here that no one knows how to manage a ball club during a pandemic. And I think generally speaking, uh, the White Sox, once they got going, now what happened before the season with Moncada and, and Mazzara, sort of different, different animals there. But as far as in-season how he's managed the roster, the roster that he has, the guys that are healthy um, and, and managed protocols. I think they're going to look at that a lot. Like how well did your team adhere to protocols when on the road? How seriously did they take it? I think that's going to be a big, it, it shouldn't. Um, and it's not a thing that evaluators are used to looking at, but I think when they, when they tell the, the tale of 2020 and they sort of bring, uh, you bring Ricky in front of the Bobs, he has his meeting with the Bobs for, you know, you know, interviewing for his own job at the end of the year. I think that's going to be the, one of the big things they look at. It's not going to be, did you, uh, underachieve, overachieve? It's going to be how well did you sort of guide the ship through these turbulent waters of, of COVID-19? So I think that's going to be a big part of it, and so far, so good. Um, you know, the Sox haven't been a national embarrassment in the in the vein of the Mar Marlins and the Cardinals. But as as far as just you know, you're starting to see some some little weird weird lineup things going on here here with Ricky. So I, I think they've got a lot of money invested in this team. Finally, for the first time, with some of these new high price free agents that are coming in. They're finally putting their money where their mouth is. So I think they want to do everything they can, you would hope, to protect that investment and to make sure that those assets were, 
utilized as efficiently as possible. And I, and, I, and I think this if the Sox underachieve with the talent they have out there and they get back to health and we get a better picture of what this thing should look like and they underperform, I think Ricky will be on the hot seat. Um, you know, There's a guy in Cleveland who we just saw, another Cleveland, who his contract's up at the end of the year. He's going through some health issues right now, but Terry Francona is a guy um, who you would think would, would, would like to step into a, to a major market, a big city, a vibrant town with a young, talented roster and step in. So that's always my thing. We talk about it all the time. It's like, well, yeah, you could fire this guy, but who are you going to replace him with? Like right now there are no in-house candidates who I'd be like, yeah, cool. Like maybe Omar Vizquel would have been that guy because he has such a relationship with, with a lot of the younger guys and he's sort of an energetic personality and, you know, you know, I remember him. You know, stories of him relating to the to the players. Like, you know, Dylan Cease was a was a is a big time war buff. So Omar Vizquel had like an illustration of like World War II planes on his on his uh, rotate on the starting lineup card when Dylan Cease was pitching. It's, you know, little dumb things like that that gets him to create to connect to guys that are you know uh, thirty years his junior. You know that that goes a long way. You know, so. I think everything's up for grabs after this year, but a lot has to go wrong, I think, for them to look to uh, to make a, a step in a different direction as far as the manager goes. So, yeah, thank you very much, Joe, for the and email. Yeah, go ahead. Chris, yeah. before we go I, I saw your text I mean, here, yeah, in, in, in yeah. regards to managing, and, and I mentioned earlier in the show about veteran players stepping up. Why don't you go ahead and read this uh, tweet from Daryl Van Scowen about what uh, Dallas Keuchel said after the game tonight. Yeah, Dallas Keuchel, quote, we came out flat. We have some guys taking professional bats, some guys kind of going through the motions. It seemed like we were taking the night off. Very subpar play from everybody. Close quote. Oh, my goodness. My man. There Been it is. here for 15 games and already can see it. And he ain't going to be taking, you know, the back seat to nobody. He doesn't care if he just got here. He's a leader. I hope, as I said on the tweet, that he said this to the team vocally. We cannot be like this. We can't be subpar. Detroit, I don't care if that says they're in first place. They're not better than us. The, the outfit out there, that Negro Goodroom garbage, who was hitting like a buck fifty today, before today? 144. Four four, 144, I think it was, before yeah. today's game. And we're making that damn dude look like King Griffey Jr. Come on, let's go. And I know he knows that Detroit's not better than us. They use Michael Fulmer for two innings and then use a bunch of bullpen guys and shut us down for one run. Ridiculous. He can see it. He knows there's more talent on this team than what they're given and more effort and more like he, he understands guys. Some guys are giving professional bets. Other guys are going through the motions. That's what we're talking about. Dallas Keuchel became one of my favorite players just because he's a great pitcher and he talk, talks to talk. And walks the walk. He gave up three runs today, but in, set, in six and a third, I'll take that every time. Absolutely, and that's exactly what we're talking about. You you want to see a player stepping up. Like it, very seldomly over the course of the last few years has any player on the White Sox stepped up and and let their presence be known. I mean, we remember Abreu at the trade deadline saying that they need some help, whether it was calling up Luis Robert or acquiring someone at the deadline. I, you know, he was the last guy I remember speaking up about anything related to on the field stuff. So yeah, I'd love to see it. I, I hope Grandal is the next guy to step up and, and address the offense. Um, you know, cause it's a little different when a, when a starting pitcher is sort of criticizing your at bats. I think that could create more of a rift 
than you would like to have. But they've, they've got to have someone co-sign that, uh, you know, a respected veteran and be like, yeah, he's absolutely right. Uh, I take it on myself, blah, blah, blah. I take ownership of this, like if, whether it's Grandal or Abreu or whoever. Um, you know, you, you, you need someone to sort of vouch for that on the other side uh, of, of the ball club. So we'll certainly have more information on that throughout the course of the week. I'm sure people are going to be talking about that in the pregame tomorrow in the Zoom chats, and you'll get more player reaction uh, about what Dallas Keuchel said, and we'll certainly bring that to you and unpack that uh, a little bit more uh, in tomorrow's episode, most likely, hopefully after after a victory, and hopefully this is something that will springboard them into a better performance. Um, all right, Herbie, for the final email of Mailbag Monday, we're going to bring in, and we're going to break form a little bit here and bring in a f- friend of the show. This is our first guest since we've been together, and uh, no one better to address this next question about their minor league system than the senior editor for Future Sox, He's a part of SI Now's Southside Hit Pen. He's our guy. He knows a lot about the Sox minor league system. It's James Fox. Do you guys have any insight to who is in Schaumburg? Well, that's uh, public knowledge out there. You can look that up. Also, any idea on the progress of Elijah Tatis and Yolbert Sanchez? What say you, James Fox, of future Sox and Southside Hit Pen? What do you got on those two young gentlemen? Yeah, so, you know, Elijah Tatis, he, he signed for $500,000 out of the Dominican. Obviously, the younger the younger brother of he who will not be named right now on this podcast. Um, Thank you. You know, some jackass traded Tatis. I don't know. He, you know, he was – 500K isn't a ton, but it's not nothing. So, you know, he didn't, he didn't play very well in the Dominican Summer League, but he looked noticeably bigger, like, just in, like, videos – um, recently. And then his, you know, his father, you know, made the comment that like, he was, you know, stronger than, uh, than Fernando, which who knows. So it's kind of one of those things where like with him, you need to see him in games. And he, he wasn't even in Arizona for spring training. I think he was going to go back to the DSL. So, you know, he's pretty far away, but he's, you know, I, I wouldn't say that he's like a dude, but he's a guy to like continue watching. He's a shortstop. He's obviously got bloodlines, um, but not having a minor league season makes it really tough. He is only like 17 years old, though. Yolbert Sanchez is, you know, your typical White Sox international special because he's two and a half million dollars on a 22 year old Cuban. Um, the bat's not great, but he's a plus plus defender at short. I thought he was going to be a fast mover as like a utility type guy. Um, he was probably going to be in Winston, but there's obviously no minor league season and he's not in Schaumburg. So, um, I, he's the type where they might not even worry about developing the bat. They'll just kind of rush him through and just, you know, he's a, he's a big league defender right now. And then whatever else you can get from him, he is, I don't know how much it matters, but he's buddies with all these other guys with Robert and Moncada and with a couple other Cubans that are on their radar. So just real quick while I have you here at our disposal here on Locked on White Sox, who of the guys in Schaumburg do you want to see uh, up at the big league level next? Is it Dane Dunning getting a shot? Is it someone else? Who, who are you looking at in Schaumburg hoping to see that they, they, they sort of uh, break through and enter here with the big league club? I think Dane Dunning, you hit it right on the head. Um, I, they are stretching him out, so I think it'll. Be, I don't think they'll bring him up and just throw him like two innings out of the bullpen. I think they'll – you know, they're going to pitch him either in long relief or let him start. Bernardo Flores is down there. Is another guy who's, you know, probably not great, but better than Drew Anderson. Um, and he's on your 40-man roster. So so why not get a look at that type guy? I, I wouldn't expect anything crazy. I don't I don't expect Garrett Crochet or anybody like that. Um, 
But just as far as your, you know, the bullpen, you could see Tyler Johnson. I was very excited that Zach Birdie came up and pitched well. Um, but Tyler Johnson's probably the next, um, I guess, reliever in line, but he's not on the 40-man either. So, yeah, Dane Dunning, Bernardo Flores, I would say. Um, and at the rate they're going, we might see him real soon. So, All right, James, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for helping us out in the mailbag here. Figure bringing a professional to uh, iron out this answer on the uh, some of the young kids down there. So, James, any, anything else you'd like to promote here while you have the floor? No, not really. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to – it's a new normal for us over at Future Sox right now because we don't have minor league games to cover. So, you know, we've kind of been covering the prospects in big league games and, you know, writing articles on any little thing they do, and we're still pumping out, like, you know, like a podcast a week. So, um, you know, hang in there. Like, we're, we're trying, but, you know, without minor league baseball, it's a little bit tough. All right, man. Appreciate you. Be safe out there, and uh, thanks again. Thanks, Chris. How about Foxy there giving us some great analysis on uh, on some of these kids here and and giving us some good good news maybe about Dane Dunning there, hopefully getting stretched out enough to make a start here in the near future. That was, that was good stuff by Foxy there. Always good to hear from James. He has all the information that you need. Follow him. He gave you that breaking news about Eloy. He gave you the breaking news about Luis Robert. He's a man who's plugged in, so check him out. James Fox 917. I hope that was sufficient enough for you, Charlie. Your, your question about the minor leagues there, Charlie. Um, before we get out of here tonight, um, we were going to do he, – he mentioned the man that shan't be mentioned that James Fox did, the reigning a, uh, NL player of the week. You knew he would. He mentioned uh, you know, the, the Tatis family. Um, but the Sox were uh, – they had a national spotlight on them last night. Uh, A-Rod and, and Matt Vaskersian, they weren't in town like we, like we said. I forgot they were in the studio doing analysis, but I would be – we would be doing a disservice to our listeners if, if we didn't mention sort of A-Rod's ness uh, on the game last night. What, what, what were your thoughts on just the overall presentation, how they framed the White Sox and, and the current state of their rebuild and their future? What did you make of, of ESPN and, and how they approached the White Sox coverage last night? I love that you know we're finally getting some shine after seven years of not being on Sunday Night Baseball. But it's obvious that A-Rod knows nothing about the White Sox necessarily. He just scratches the surface, does foundational things like, oh, man, Katie Williams did this and that. And, oh, when I was playing, the ballpark was a pitcher's park, and then it turned into a hitter's park. Who cares about that old shit when you were playing? Um, they said it on the air today on the score. If there's one thing the White Sox and their fans – hold dearly to and that the only fan base that knows who the fuck their groundskeeper is it's the White Sox and if you're going to give him credit if he didn't have to say anything about Roger Bossert who I never all. never heard of the, the, the gentleman who but this jerk like went on his way and said they have one of the best groundskeepers in the game hang on let me just his get to it is what's his name Roger... folks let's hear it back to Leary Garcia you can hear it. It's coming down so hard. And the White Sox have one of the best ground screw guy in baseball, Roger <laughs> Bozart. He's been there since 1983. 83. And he is the best in the business. Uh, they're dragging him in now. It's just there's just no chance. You just can't you can't pitch in this. 
<laughs> Roger Bozart. Oh boy, watch out. Sodfather's gonna put it gonna put a hit on his family and all the other families <laughs> for mispronouncing his name there. The blatant disrespect of the White Sox organization continues on a national level. Got Roger Bozart, what in the hell are you doing, A Rod? <laughs> Yeah, like, he's not at the stadium like he would usually be in. He would have done a game with the Cubs and the Cardinals originally. But do a modicum of research. Okay, this name, I want to make sure any professional, I'm sure Matt Vasgersian, every time he goes to a stadium, make sure that he knows the pronunciations, correct pronunciations of the players he's going to name. And if he needs to do that little nugget of one of the greatest groundskeepers in the game uh maybe i think it's bozart but let me go and check let me ask any single person that's watched any white Sox game ever when he's been mentioned and ask him well, how do you say that or just say the sod father everybody like, i got you man go ahead. yeah everyone in baseball has had to have heard the term the sod father like yeah, you you know so. you'd be okay with that i mean he had to have known about the sod father not roger bozart i don't know who that man is but uh yeah the a-rod thing was on full display last night and you know it, it was it wasn't a totally horrendous broadcast uh you know hopefully the next time they're on national television it'll be during the playoffs this year i would like to think or you know god forbid if something else happens and another team's weekend series is wiped out maybe they'll be back uh, with the white Sox. but yeah the the, a- the a-rod thing last night they did ha- also talk about the uh, the White Sox and and their free agent acquisitions over this past offseason. And A-Rod provided some outstanding analysis here. They wrote some big checks this winter, not with the idea that they'd catch up to the Twins in 2023. A lot of free agent signings to go out and make the trade for Nomar Mazzara, but Edwin Encarnacion on a one-year deal, they write a big check for Grandal, same for Keuchel. Shore up the pitching end with Gio Gonzalez coming back again to the south side, Steve Ciszek. And what I like about those six names right there is six baseball players, <laughs> pitchers and baseball, that love the game of baseball, go out and compete, are tough, and can bring, continue the Rick Renteria DNA that they have going in Chicago. They have a lot of good energy going in a very, very bright future for the White Sox. I don't know what any Sorry. of that means. I don't know what the Rick Renteria DNA is. I have no idea what that means, and I appreciate your bare minimum analysis of saying the White Sox signed baseball players. I know what you're saying, uh, but yeah, just just say you like the moves that they've made, and we'll talk to one of them later on. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, I've been hard on Rick Hunt. I've been way too hard on him. I mean, the fact that he finds signed six baseball players i was overlooking i'm glad he didn't sign football players this time oh, good God. job rick renteria for signing six baseball players good, good job way to go Rickon. way to go uh so i we know you're listening her we never got into you here uh you want you want to talk about your your brief encounter with Rickon? like i always oh, yeah. okay. i always thought we would get into it and it would come up organically but it hasn't to this point but i figure what better opportunity than right now uh you had a, a brief interaction with Rickon recently how, how did that transpire well it was i forgot which day it was it was probably the opening day of opening night of White Sox uh, baseball, and he was calling into the score studio to do an interview with Lawrence Holmes. So, as the both the executive producer and the board op for that show, I'm the only person there, usually doing the Lawrence Holmes show on the board and in that room. And so I have to answer the phones and also do the board. And so he calls, and 
I'm, you know, kind of distracted because I'm about to run the open for the show. He calls and I'm like, Score Studio, it's Herb. Hey, Herb. And, and, he, immediately, and he immediately said, The money will be spent. <laughs> just started saying Rick Honisms. And then also, Ask me after the parade. He immediately just started going after his things that have caught fire on social media. But what did Rick Hahn say when you answered the phone? He's like, Hey, Herb, Rick Hahn. I was like, Hey, Rick, uh, appreciate you coming on with us. Uh, how you doing today? Something like that. Something general like that. He's like, well, I'm doing fine just wearing that Teflon suit, which you would like me to wear. <laughs> and once he said that, I was in a daze, firstly, because the show's going on. I'm got to <laughs> hit it open. And secondly, that he caught me on my own shit that I s- said about him on this podcast and on the score many times and on twitter too probably yeah, white, whiteboard um, the reference the teflon suit reference whiteboard that for for the people who haven't maybe caught on to, to what you've been saying well in white Sox twitter and white Sox nation i hate calling it that but whatever uh people assign blame to kenny williams when everything goes wrong anything goes wrong and praise to rick hahn when anything goes right and like he'll mess up and he's been here for I think eight seasons and not one of them have been winning seasons. Imagine if that the shoes were on the other foot and Kenny Williams was eight years into his job, no matter how much the, uh, the rebuild is going or when he took over or when people think he wrestled control away from Jerry, people will be giving shit to Kenny Williams. Rightfully so. And I think Rick Hahn has lived a charmed life in this city, firstly because he's very affable. He is a very personable, knows how to work the media. He's funny. He's a good dude. Yeah, great dude. Yeah. Yeah. And so the media eats that up, and I eat it up, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Because that guy is, he's a funny dude. He's a good guy. And, And Kenny's a little gruff. And so when he fucks up, He's gonna. People are gonna let you know about it. And then Kenny also is a guy that loves to take credit for things, no matter what. A Bray, when a Bray you sign, you're like, hey, yeah, I went down to Cuba and signed and, and saw saw him, and I'm the one who signed it, even <laughs> though it seemed like Rick Hahn was the general manager at the time. The, this dynamic is weird, but Sox uh, Nation has decided that Kenny is the problem. The world champion Kenny Williams is the problem. And that Rick Hahn cannot be touched. The golden boy. Teflon. And so that's why I said he's Teflon Rick. And he wears a suit in this town that he can't be touched. And it's for that most part, it's true. I work in the media. I hear what people say about Rick Hahn. And most of it is pleasant. Most of it is positive. We're eight years into a job without one winning season. Can we get any type of criticism for the man? And that doesn't happen that much. So... Yeah, Teflon, and he still is that guy. And for him to catch me on what I've said, that means he listens. Thank you very much, Rick, and I appreciate you listening to Locked on Sox, one of the big fans, one of our fans making us number one in South Korea. And then (laughs) secondly, it means that my words have gotten to him. He knows who I am, which is amazing to me. As a guy who works in radio, I don't think when I do speak on these things that I'm speaking to a lot of people, and because, you know, I'm just usually speaking to into a mic or you or speaking to Lawrence Holmes. And so I out of sight, out of mind, don't know that it 
actually does reach people. So the fact that it reached him makes me feel good. But he caught me on my shit that day, <laughs> and I was shocked. I was like, man, that's a good that's a good person to catch me and to take my words and throw them right back at me. I was I was a little impressed with Rick Hunt. I understand why people give him the pass that they do because I felt uh, I felt like both embarrassed and also flattered at the same time. So he said that to me and I had to get him on right there. And I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And then put him on hold. Typical Chicago media, Herb. You're just like the rest of them who fawn over Theo and Jed. <laughs> Once they say something in your direction, you're like, Oh, Oh, you. <laughs> Typical. I mean, I can't, I can't deny it. Man. That made me a little bit more of a fan of his. I'm serious. It was weird. It was the weirdest thing in the world where it's kind of like, uh, and, this is going inside radio. Steve Rosenblum used to treat producers not like shit, but he used to treat them like kind of gruff when you go on the road with them or you first start being his uh, producer. It's only until you like stand up to him do you get his respect or you talk back to him and give him the shit that he's, he's given you that you get Steve Rosenblum's respect, which is fine with me. And that's how my relationship went with Steve Rosenblum. And that's, I think, the same thing that happened with me and Rick Hahn. I still hold his feet to the fire, but that day I was like, all right. All right, good one, Rick. You got me. Good job. And I got mad respect for you, kid. Good job. All right. I I think I've had one personal one-on-one interaction with with Rick Hahn, and it had to have been like Sox Fest in 2010 maybe. I was there with my dad. I was there with my dad, and uh, I was working there. And I had a pass, uh, and you know, my you know got my dad in there, and uh, we watched some of the seminars. And Ranji was doing his show from there, um, and you know, Rick Hahn had just come on the show, so I introduced my dad to Rick Hahn, who at the time was just basically the assistant GM, the contract mm-hmm. man, the number cruncher. But I introduced, uh, I was like, Dad, this is Rick Hahn. He's the assistant GM, and his son flipped the coin for to, to get the coin flip game in in Chicago against the Twins. That was how I introduced him, <laughs> and Rick Hahn seemed like you know he he was very cool about it, and my dad did not seem to care one way or another. But it's just one of those things, you know. You're always trying, always out here trying to impress dad, uh, you know that you know people in this industry. Um, but you know, he was, is your dad retroactively impressed by that? I, I, I seriously doubt that he even remembers meeting him. Uh, he, he was more impressed that with the shout out on the game broadcast of last week so or two weeks ago so he, he was very impressed about that uh, so but yeah that uh, that does it for us tonight uh, this uh spirited all over the place uh, edition i like it you know we gotta we gotta make ourselves feel good here after that that bad loss socks five to one losers to the tigers tonight and hopefully we see some improvements tomorrow i don't know if dallas keichel's comments can bring them good health but maybe it'll encourage them to lock in a little bit and maybe we'll see some some better at bats going forward. That's all I got tonight, Herbie. That's all I got too, Chris. So this was Mailbag Monday, a little lengthy, but you know we're having a great time. And thank you to our special guest James Fox from Future Sox and Southside Hippin for joining us and follow him on Twitter at James Fox nine one seven. It's been a great day for us as far as this uh, White Sox uh, locked on White Sox. As I said before, number one in South Korea. I don't know how it happened, but we are. And Maybe it's because we were talking about them being the example. Remember, I was like, "They're the that's the status for like that's the the highest bar right there." Like you're 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 gonna run your sports just how like how they did it, 
You know what I mean? Maybe it was that. Maybe it was all for our, our big hype talk about South Korea and how the KBO was sort of the gold standard to model professional sports going forward and how we talked about the masks and how they were wearing them and how MLB players should be mandated to wear them on the field. Maybe maybe it was that. Maybe our, maybe our good mask pub got around to South Korea and they, they got excited about that. So salute. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it, South Korea. You're my people. And – um, so we got number one in South Korea right now. Shout out to my man. Happened, it's, it's Chris Tannehill's uh, words that are making these things happen. So, well, let me tell you, you, say something about the United States. Too. Well, well, let me tell you, my, my man, Gabe, uh, my man, Gabe Ledesma is, a, is an English teacher out there. He teaches the, the, oh. the, the South Korean youth English, uh, and he uprooted his life and decided he wanted to be a teacher out there in South Korea. And, uh, you know, I, you know, he's one of my great friends and, uh, you know, I haven't seen him in a while, but we, we talk on occasion and whenever he comes back to the States, we always visit, but he, uh, shout out to him out there. He's, he's a teacher out there fighting the good fight and teaching the, uh, the youth of, uh, not America, but the youth of South Korea and, uh, you know, making the world a better place by bridging culture gaps, you know, introducing hip hop culture to, to a lot of them. He's a, he's a big fan of, uh, you know, Jay Dilla and Premier and Pete Rock. So he's always incorporating music to the lessons and, 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 and spreading love in American culture. Shout out to my guy Gabe out there in South Korea. Maybe that has something to do with it, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe in like 15 years, we'll get a little K-pop with a little old school hip hop. <laughs> yeah. To it. Absolutely. But that's all I got tonight. So yeah, it's uh, locked on socks on Twitter at locked on socks to follow us there. If you want to be mentioned and we read all the emails that come into locked on socks at gmail.com, but we, uh, we select a few to be read here on our mailbag Monday episode. So it is locked on socks at gmail.com. You can have special guests like James Fox being brought in for your own question. If you have a good question, we will go and consult people who know better than us. Anytime we have a question that is from a White Sox fan that we don't know ourselves. So LockedOnSox at gmail.com is the way you get to us via email. And LockedOnSox on Twitter, LockedOnSox on Instagram. Chris Tannehill is at Chris Tannehill. I, Herb Lawrence, am, uh, I don't even know how I'm going to say my own name. <laughs> I, Herb Lawrence, is that me? Is that Hector Wall 23 on Twitter and don't follow me on Instagram. There's nothing there. Just pictures of me. That you know how I look. Whatever. Um, so for Chris Tannehill, I am Herb Lawrence. Hot as hell in this room because there's no fan on, but this is locked on socks. <laughs>